everybody. This is David with Light the Fight. Thanks for joining us as always. And the us today is just me. Again, Heidi is not with me today. Um, she's still uh, doing her change of life adventure in her fitness journey over at Movara. And um, if you haven't listened to our last episode about her first day experience, um, go and check that out. It's a short episode, but she wanted to do an episode on what it was like when she first started Movara, and then at the very end, we'll be posting later on this week, um, her overall two-week experience from the whole entire time being there, what she learned about herself, you know, her body, her, her what kind of fitness goals she comes back with. So all of you who follow Heidi and follow the podcast and want to know more about that and, and checking her out, uh, go ahead and uh, listen and stay tuned for that podcast. But because she's gone, I'm here Manning the helm all by myself again, trying not to steer it into a reef. Because as of right now, I'll be honest with you guys, I'm thinking about surfing, thinking about going home. Just a few days left to my vacation that I've been talking about. And if any of you can relate to me, sometimes you got such a big vacation that you're worried about all these little details. This could go wrong, that could go wrong. And this time I'm feeling good about it and don't want to jinx it and say it's going to be perfect, but... Everything's lining up to be great. The weather is supposed to be great. The the surf, which is a big deal to me, it's supposed to be great. And I've checked all my favorite restaurants' websites, and apparently they're still open, so that's a good thing. I I don't think those places will ever shut down as long as there are humans there because got some good food out there in Southern California. So anyways, without further ado, let's get to the podcast. And today's episode is something that I want to talk about that's a little bit of a spinoff of something I mentioned in a couple episodes ago. I believe it was me and Heidi's last episode. And I'd mentioned, or maybe it was a DM, I think it was a DM, I'd mentioned in that episode um, about sparking curiosity within your kid. So I wanted to elaborate on that and kind of tell you a little bit of the origin of how I found out this information, how I use it to relate and connect with teenagers and kids and just people in general, but specifically kids so that you as parents or teachers or coaches or whatever role you play in um, kids' lives, I want you to be able to take the experience that I had and use it in a way that's going to help build the relationship with kids in your life and do it in a way that triggers something that's very natural and innate for teenagers and kids alike, which is for them to be curious. So there's an old saying that says, curiosity killed the cat. And usually it means that curiosity is bad. Well, curiosity can be bad. However, it's also natural. So curiosity is one of those things as human beings. And I mentioned this in the DM message where Heidi and I were talking about, and the reference that I used was the movie Moana. Um, if you watch the movie Moana, a little repeat on that, um, and if you haven't watched it, you know, a little spoiler alert, uh, it's this young girl, her, her family and her po Polynesian Islander tribe was on this Island and they were stuck on this Island. And the dad, the chief said, Hey, we're here. We're not going to go outside the outer reef because that's where the seas get dangerous. We live off what the Island provides and we're safe where we're at. Well, some changes started happening in the Island and they realized that they were going to have to do something different. Otherwise they would all die. Now, the metaphor of this with life and with your kids is that you may start off your family with a certain blueprint. And you may, you may say, you know, if we ran our family this particular way, then everything will be ideal. We'll be living happily ever after. 
And then as you start going throughout um, your course in your family's life, you start to realize that obstacles come up. Uh, hurdles happen where you have to climb over them. And then you have to start realizing, or most people realize at some point that, gosh, you know what? The way we originally started this blueprint and this plan isn't necessarily working for today, and we're going to have to make some changes. So we're going to have to explore different options. Well, how this relates to curiosity is that teenagers and kids alike, like I said, are naturally very curious. Human beings are naturally very curious. And in the movie Moana, she was so excited to find out that they weren't people that just settled down. In fact, hidden away in this cave, remember, spoiler alert, hidden away in this cave were a bunch of sailboats and that they were once voyagers. So they once took on the wide open Pacific Ocean, followed the currents, and landed at new uh, islands and cultivated those islands. And then because of that, they were able to sail the Pacific Islands and chart the chart the seas in the Pacific Islands and um, have different cultures and different islands. Now, even though that's a movie, it's it was borrowed a lot from folklore and a lot of the history of um, Polynesians that settled throughout the Hawaiian, Samoan, and Tongan Islands. So a lot of it was true. But the reason why I bring that up with your kids and your relationship with your kids is I discovered something very early, um, like within the first couple months of me working with youth that I want to share with you guys. I want to share how I use this in my normal therapy practice and in counseling, and then how I've been able to share this with parents and get them to do something very similar to help better the relationship with them and their kids. So in typical day fashion, and yes, I'm talking about myself in the third person because Heidi's not here. I'm going to tell a little story. If you haven't noticed, I like to tell stories. Um, I've always been the storytelling friend, the one friend that it was such a good story. I don't even know if it really mattered, if it was always true or not. People were just like, tell another story because they knew it was going to be entertaining. So these stories are true, but I've always been a storytelling guy. So this story begins um, where the last story left off um, in our last podcast when I talked about a very unfortunate circumstance at a boys group home that I worked at. Well, this story um, was at this facility and at another facility where I was asked to do some intakes for kids that were coming into the facility. And what an intake was, it was my job to greet the parents and ask them questions about their kid and find out what was wrong with their kid and why they're there and why they're dropping their kid off. And then it was my, then it was also my job to meet with the kid introduce the kid to the program, tell them what they had to do to be able to go home and have visits and to be on um, like what type of behavior, behavior they had to follow in order to get extra privileges and rules in order for them to know um, how to survive there. Simple things like when is dinner? Um, what are the chores like? Uh, what time's bedtime? So all this different type of stuff. When I first started doing this, um, I was in, in graduate school and I was put in a position where they give you a title as counselor and therapist. And apparently those titles mean you're supposed to know what you're doing and what you're talking about. Well, in all honesty, I didn't know what I was doing and I didn't know what I was talking about. I was a rookie. I was just getting started. But there's a certain pressure where you're supposed to have the answers and you're supposed to be um, a person of authority. And all you parents out there, I want you to pay close attention to this because th there's a, a correlation between... Um, this with a lot of parents I've talked to. A lot of parents I've talked to have said that, you know, they're the parent. They're supposed to have the answers. They're supposed to have things figured out. And sometimes that just isn't the case. Sometimes 
we got to fake it till we make it. And sometimes we never feel like we're making it. Sometimes we feel like we have more fails. And so it's kind of an exploratory time for a lot of parents, just like it was an exploratory time for me as a young counselor in these facilities. Well, what happened was there was this young man and gosh, this was back in 1999. So I may or may not remember his name correctly. I seriously doubt it because it's past the age of confidentiality. But let's just say um, in this case, uh, his name was Trey. And uh, he was an African-American young man. And he came in for an intake. And during this intake, um, it was his mother and his stepdad. And Trey had um, a lot of red on. He had red shoelaces. He had a red Phillies hat. Like he just was wearing about as much red as he could. And that obviously showed me that he was a blood pyru. And he that, that's his association with, with the blood gang. And so he came in and I, like normal, I was supposed to talk to his parents. And I was given a bunch of questions on a piece of paper that I was supposed to ask the the parents. In fact, the parent, the questionnaire actually said questions asked parents or intake questions asked parents. And so like a good employee, I asked them the, the questions. And then uh, I was supposed to take those questions and I was supposed to take that information and have them talk to someone else. Then I was supposed to go talk to their son. Well, I'd been playing around with this idea in my head that something was wrong with the process of the intakes. And what I thought was wrong with the process of the intakes, because this wasn't the first one I've done. I'd done a few before. I thought something was very ironic and off about it. And here's what I here's what I identified. I thought that it was quite interesting that I was supposed to ask the parents what they thought the problem with their kid was, what were all the contributing factors to why their kid had to be brought to such a facility, and everything that they had done with obviously not enough success that had led them to this point. So I remember first couple times I did this, I'd ask the parents these questions and I'd go in to talk to the teenager and then I'd just basically tell the teenager where they need to be, what they need to do, and that was it and shoo them off in their way. Then every week I was supposed to meet as an intern therapist, um, counseling with the parents and counseling with... Um, the actual uh, kid, like doing family therapy. But during the week time, I was an online staff. So I was basically like their parent, as I mentioned in, in the last uh, podcast, for like eight to 10 hour shifts. So after I did a couple of these intakes, I, I, just, I just didn't feel right about asking the parents all these questions about what they thought was wrong with their kid. But yet I wasn't supposed to ask the kid any questions about his or her, well, in this case, it was a his because it was a boys group home, about his experience about what he thought of his family, about his perspective of his life. And for me, that just, I don't know, just something just kind of irked me about that. And I don't know about all you listeners out there, but I definitely realized I had somewhat of a problem at times when people would tell me to do something that didn't make sense to me. I would often think, I'd go, hmm, what if I did the opposite? And of course, it got me in trouble a lot of times, but this is one of the the few random times where it was actually, I believe it was to my benefit and pretty much changed the course in the, it started the change of course and direction, how I saw youth and adolescents and how I worked with them. So what I did was Trey's family came in, like I said, talked to the parents, got information from them. 
And then it was my turn to talk to Trey. Well, I walk in the room, Trey slouched down in the chair, wouldn't really make much eye contact with me. And this was a kid where he was probably just turning 17, around 17 years old. He was very well built, big, strong kid. And he wasn't one of those like little pretend gangbanger kids that came in. I could just tell, I got a vibe from him. He was the real deal. Like he didn't say much, but you could tell he was actually tough. He wasn't pretending to be tough. So I said, hey, what's up, man? How you doing? I was trying to be buddy-buddy and friend with him. And he just was like, yeah, what's up, dude? Like, that's exactly how he talks. So I'm now mimicking him. And I was just like, hey, you know, I usually got along with most teenagers pretty easily. So I just was just, hey, what's up, blah, blah, blah. And just being really just taught, just chatty Kathy. And, and I kept on trying to talk, trying to get some sort of connection with him. He wasn't having it. He was shutting everything down by just kind of not disrespectful, but just kind of turning his head. And then I finally was like, hey, well, you know, I got to ask you these questions. And he's like, yeah, whatever, man. And so I figured out, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to try something different. And I didn't, I didn't really plan this out. I just was kind of a, a vague thought. So I took the piece of paper that I had that was supposed to, a blank piece of paper that said, questions asked the parents. I'm like, I'm going to ask him these questions and tell him that, I didn't think it was right that I wasn't supposed to ask him these questions. And in my mind, I'm like, he's going to totally agree with me. He's going to get it. He's going to understand where I'm coming from and we're going to have the best relationship. And, you know, I'm just going to really help change his life. And so I said, Hey, Trey, you know what? Um, I'm not supposed to do this, but you know, I want to ask you some questions and uh, something different than you're normally, I'm normally supposed to ask you. And he looked at me, he's like, he's like, nah, dude, he's like, just tell me what time I need to go to, to bed what time dinner's at, and I'm going to be out of here. And I was kind of shocked. I was like, no, no, like, you're going to really like this, man. And I was trying to sell him on it. He's like, hey, man, with all due respect, I don't want to hear you. I don't want to see you. This is my first rodeo. I'm really not in a good mood. I'm in a bad mood. I'm mad at my parents. I don't want to talk to them, so I don't want to talk to you. I know you just got done talking with them. And so you might be a cool dude, but I ain't trying to hear that right now. And I realized that he was just being honest with me. He wasn't being disrespectful. I could have taken it personal. And mind you, at this particular time, I'm only, shoot, a couple years, a year and a half out of playing Division I college football. And I had an alpha ego in me, and it wasn't too dead yet. I was still, you know, in good enough shape and thinking pretty highly of myself at the time. I'm like, so there's a part of me that my ego wanted to snap back and be like, well, then fine. Well, if that's how it's going to be and just be mad at him. And so I stopped for a second. I was like, I'm trying to be nice to this kid. I'm trying to befriend him. I'm trying to be all buddy-buddy with him, but it's not working. He's not feeling me. And I just said, what should I do in this situation? I, I know he'll like it if I ask him these questions. I know it'll real help the situation. And I realized he was being real with me, but I wasn't being real with him. I was actually trying to befriend him. I was trying to get him to like me. And that's normal for adults with these rough at-risk teenagers to try to befriend them because they're kind of scary and it'd be easier if they didn't lose lose their mind and, and flip out and lose their emotions. It'd make my job a lot easier so I don't have to restrain someone. And I just stopped for a second and all my college friends and roommates, they, they would call this, I, I was just being cause. So cause was more of my college persona. That was more of the, the guy who was the football player and not the chill surfer, relaxed guy. It was definitely more the aggressive version of me. And I just said, you know, man, I said, tell you what, I don't want to waste your time. I know you don't want to waste my time. 
So let me just be real with you. I'm trying to do you a favor. I just got done talking to your parents. I, I sense that there's another side of the story. So I want to ask you questions, what you think is wrong with your family. And if there's any information that you could give me to better help me help them so that while you're here, you don't feel like everyone's against you trying to control your life. So what's it going to be? You're going to help me out. You're not going to help me out. Or are you just going to sit there and act tough and not say nothing? And he like, he like shook his head and like looked at me and he sat up in his chair and he was like really bewildered. Like he had this look like, should I be offended? But then again, I was kind of slouching down. I was being a Debbie Downer. And he looked at me realizing this guy call, kind of just called me out on my stuff, but he was also curious to what the heck I was talking about. And so he goes, wait, what? And he just gave me this like bewildered, like what? I said, see this piece of paper? And I point out questions asked parents. I crossed out the word parent. I put teen. I said, on this piece of paper, I'm supposed to ask your parents what they think is wrong with you. But I want to know what you think about the family, about the scenario. You know, I'm assuming you're not a saint, but I'm also assuming they're not saints either. So I need you to tell me what's really what what's really up at your household so I have a better understanding because I'm going to be the family counselor. So if you tell me what's going on, I could be a better of help to your family and help you out. You feel me? Like I said something like that and he just looked at me. He's like, so let me get this straight. You want me to tell you what I think is wrong with my family or things that they probably didn't tell you when you asked them questions. I'm like, yes, exactly. He's like, for real. I'm like, yes, for real, dude. Come on. I ain't got all day. What's, what's this going to take? And so then he like started laughing. He's like, all right. He's like, so they already answered those questions? I go, yeah. He's like, I bet you $10 I can tell you what they put on some of those questions. I said, bet. Let's do it. I go, you know, I can't give you 10 bucks. He says, yeah, but if I win, I'll just feel better. I'm like, all right. So he started joking around with me. Because I bet you my mom said that I'm a drug dealer. I'm a gangbanger. And the reason why they can't keep me in their home because I'm a bad example to my little brother. And I got caught at home with, uh, with a gun. And that's basically what he said. I said, well, uh, you're, you're quite accurate, sir. <laughs> you actually won. That's pretty much exactly what they said. And in my mind, you know, they left out, you know, I didn't write down the F-bombs and all the other mean stuff they said about him. But well, yeah, that's basically what happened. And so he's like, he's like all right, so I bet you they, they also said that I'm a menace to society, that unruly, that blah, 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 that my stepdad feels like, you know, that I'm trying to take over the house. I'm intimidating and I'm trying to, th that, or no, that I threatened him uh, that I was going to kill him. I said, yeah, they, they said that too. He goes, but I bet you I can tell you what they didn't put on that paper. I said, what's that? He goes, I bet you they didn't put on there. He's all, did my mom and my stepdad tell you how they met? I said, no. He goes, did my stepmom tell you that they met because my mom was a drug maker? She used to cook crack in my grandma's basement. I said, oddly enough, she left that part out, right? <laughs> and he starts saying, how they met was they had mutual friends, drug dealing, boom, boom, boom. Did my father-in-law that said I was a deadbeat, uh, my stepdad said I was a deadbeat gangbanger, did he tell you that he did 10 years in prison for gang-related activities? I'm like, no, he actually left that part out. He said he was all religious and you know all this type of stuff, found God, blah, blah, blah. He's like, okay. He's like, did they tell you that the reason why there's a gun at the house and the reason why I threatened them is because my stepdad hit my little brother 
And luckily I wasn't there when it happened. I was at a friend's house. We're party hanging out. The word got out. My little brother's crying. There's a couple of like they're having a poker night or something happened. My stepdad got a little drunk, blah, blah, blah. My step, my little brother's bothering him, slapped him. So I get the phone call and I come over there and luckily my mom and everybody stopped me, but I had a gun on me. And because I told my stepdad, I said, if you ever touch my little brother, I'll kill you. Because he tried hitting me when I was just coming up a couple of times. And then I pulled, and I told him because I was in a gang, the gang gave me protection. Well, he was in a rival gang from my gang. And so he used to always make fun of me, call me names. You know, I'm a blood. He called me a slob and all these derogatory names towards bloods because he was a crip, this, and that, and the other. And so he basically was trying to punk me all the time at my house. And he's a really big dude. But when I heard this about my little brother, I said, I'm not having it. So did they tell you that's the reason why I'm here? Because I threatened to kill him, which I did because he hit my little brother. And then Trey, at this moment, I said, no, I didn't. He goes, he goes, I would do anything for my little brother. And he starts crying. And just him talking about the story made him so emotional, he started tearing up. And he goes, they, they say I'm a bad example of my little brothers. Yeah, I got busted for selling weed at school. He's like, but my little brother is all I have. I've always wanted a sibling. I always want a little brother. I don't want him to be a gangbanger like me. You know, and he just like was going through this battle inside of his mind where how gangbanging helped him in one way, but it hurt him because he didn't want to be a bad example of his brother. And now he felt like his stepdad wanted to kick him out of the house so they could have their own life. But he goes, I don't think he's a good man for my little brother because he's just a bad example, this and that and the other. So anyways, this went on and on. I wrote down a bunch of stuff. And every week, as promised, I was the family counselor and I was counseling the family. And what had happened was I did this for this family and a bunch of other families after this. I just started asking the teenagers what the same questions I was supposed to ask the parents. And would come to find out is after I worked with Trey every week, his parents would come in, family therapy. After I worked with all these other people, I started comparing notes. After I'd seen the families for about a month, I started comparing notes from what the parents said about the teenager the first day we met and for what the teenager said about the parents the first day we met. So as I compared the notes, I started to find out that in that first conversation, the teenagers exceeded the level of truth and honesty that the parents did every single time. The parents were far more guarded about certain information. The parents, now some of the parents weren't bad parents and they weren't like totally lying, but they just didn't show their true cards. They didn't really give the whole entire picture. Now the teenagers on the other hand, I mean, unadulterated, just pure, just like raw. Of course, I had to filter through a lot of F-bombs, a lot of, you know, bad language, but they were being very genuine, very honest. And as I got to know the family, I realized that every single time the teenagers were far more accurate at painting a picture of what the family system was really like than the parents. And I sat back and it made me very curious. And what I started to think was, why is this that these teenagers that were forced to be in these facilities, because I was doing this at a couple different facilities, forced to be in this scenario, had no choice, whatever, were yet being so much more honest than the parents who weren't forced to be in that scenario. Well, it became pretty evident to me pretty quickly. And that the reason why this was more uh, accurate for me to ask both of them their sides of the story was because parents all too often, for many reasons, and a lot of them good, 
were very scared about me seeing them as a bad parent. They're fearful that I was going to see that they were dropping off their kid. And I didn't figure this part out until I became a parent. But when you're dropping off your kid in a situation where your kid looks like they've made a mistake, maybe you got little kids and they've bitten someone at their preschool and the next day you know that there's an instant report and you're walking in, there's this very protective nature that you're going to look like you're a bad parent that creeps into people's minds. And what I was, what I was seeing in real life that these parents were so scared of looking like they're a bad parent, they over-embellished at times their kids' flaws and issues. They would say, like, they're a really good kid, however, and then they'd just describe these horrible things that the kid had did and, and that they'd struggled with. And as I start to see the families as a family therapist, I started to find out that there was so much information about the parents' own accountability or flaws or mistakes that they didn't mention. And I could only assume it was because that they just they knew they made mistakes for whatever reason they didn't want to own up to it or they didn't want to be part of the blame. Now, the teenagers, on the other hand, oddly enough, the reason why they told me the truth, they didn't want to be talking to me in the first place. What did they have to lose? They're already at a lockdown facility where they can't leave, that if they do leave, someone will call the cops. And if they get out of behavior, they could get restrained. It was, it was always such a chaotic situation that it was like they had nothing left to lose. But... I sparked their curiosity by flipping the script, meaning I took exactly what I was supposed to do and I did the opposite. Now, I didn't do the opposite to make their parents bad. In fact, I was trying to build a relationship with them and their parents, but I couldn't build a relationship with them and their parents if they didn't have a relationship with me first. So I had to be that conduit, that vehicle that got them a trusted relationship with their parents. So they had to trust me and then I could vouch for their parents. Okay, I'm, I've been talking to your parents in our one-on-one -on -one sessions and you know, give your mom, give your mom a shot today. Like your mom's actually in a good place. So then eventually the kids will be like, all right, well, if Dave says, you know, it's worth me trying to come in this very softly instead of coming at this where I'm ready to blame my mom, let me give it a, let me give it a shot. So I use curiosity to get their attention, to pivot their mind and their thoughts from thinking this is going to be a horrible experience that I've experienced before to shocking them just enough to making them go, huh? What if this guy does really want to help me? What if this is a total different situation? Because that kid, Trey, he had been to many facilities like this. So for him, it was a walk in the park. For him, it was like someone who'd been to jail a bunch of times. They're like, hey, what's up? I know the deal. Just you know, tell me when to get my food and when to go to bed. I'm good. So after I'd worked with the family for a while, it just started to show more, true, more of their true colors. Um, in this case with Trey, the, you know, yeah, the, the mom had to be asked a couple times to leave therapy because she just got very aggressive and started to say some really bad things, made her son cry, just said some horrible things that I could tell she was in a lot of pain and was feeling bad about where he was at, but she just didn't react it in a good way. So I've seen a lot of this happen in very good parents too. So how this relates to this episode with curiosity is curiosity can be a very fearful and scary thing. But the way I look at it is your kids are going to be curious regardless whether you want them to be curious or not. So why not point their curiosity in the direction of them being curious that maybe you are different than they have pegged you to be? Maybe you're more easygoing and more able to understand and relate to them than they may think you have been in the past. See, it's easy to get painted into the corner and have a bad moment as a parent and your kids go, oh, 
I can't talk to mom or dad because they're going to freak out because they're going to do this. They're going to do that. If you got that reputation in your household, that's difficult to break that reputation. So instead of just telling them, hey, you can trust me and you can tell me what you really want to tell me. And even though I flipped out the last 20 times, I promise I'm not going to flip out on you this time. That's a tough sell to a kid, even a young kid. So using curiosity to switch your role in their life as being a person that's supposed to correct them and point out their mistakes to being a person that could help them figure out how to come up with better solutions to errors or mistakes that they've made and use their curiosity to look at you as being a person that might be totally different than who they thought you were. Now, how I do this with the teenagers and kids that I counsel now is very simple. They come into my office and most teenagers or kids have come to my office. I'd say probably 70, 80% have already been to some sort of counseling before. And the majority of the time, if they're coming to me, it was not a good experience. Every now and then someone had a good counselor, but the counselor moved away or stopped seeing people for some reason. But the majority of the time, it really is bad experience. The parents warned me they don't want to be here. They hate it. They're angry that I'm making them come to counseling. And so I'm already in the negative. I'm like completely, it's like if I would have came in and acted like a counselor, they just go, yep, he's just like my last counselor, check the box. So what I do is I spark curiosity. I throw something at them that their brain just can't wrap their head around. And they look at me in this really weird, like, is this dude for real? Is this real? And now they're curious to try to figure me out and that's a whole lot better than feeling like they have me pegged. I'd rather have someone curious as to what my story is, what I'm all about, because curiosity, it can kill the cat, but it's the only thing that motivates a cat. It's the only thing that gets kids and teenagers outside of their social media, their digital world to go out and have real connections. When your kid is curious about the right things, it can motivate them to try new things that might be very beneficial to, beneficial to them. Those new things can be giving you the benefit of the doubt, allowing their parent to make a mistake, but not pegging you as that being who you are and you're always going to be like that. Curiosity could be for them to try different things that they never would have thought they would have tried before. See, guilt tripping and, and shaming your kids to play family games, um, to hang out with the family, spend quality time. We've talked about that in lots of our DM episodes and some of our episodes. Not only does it work, but now you actually have taken a significant step back in the relationship because you're trying to use, hey, if you love us, you'll come hang out with us. But if you don't hang out with us, you don't love us. You paint a very black and white picture when if you use curiosity, that means you have to be creative. That means you have to figure out different things to throw your kids off guard. And it may start in little conversations with them saying something that normally you would be very reactive to. So just the other day, a uh, father came into my office and he said, hey, you know what? I, I like this whole entire curiosity thing. Um, I, it makes sense because we're talking about this, this subject. And he said, he goes, but he goes, what do I do when my son comes up to me? He goes, so for example, my son came up to me and him and his son have different religious beliefs. At least they do now. And his son came up to him randomly one day and said, Hey, dad, 
if you weren't LDS right now, Mormon is, is another term for LDS, I bet you'd be drinking, smoking, and all this and that, and you'd be partying. I bet you'd go out and have a, have a beer with me, right? And the dad said, he goes, well, my response was more like, well, you know what, son? Like, no, I, I wouldn't do those things. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, those are unhealthy and unmoral things. And I would never do that. You know, people who do that, like they risk. So the dad starts saying all these negative things about drinking alcohol, smoking cigarettes, and getting tattoos. Well, it just so happens that his son drinks alcohol, smokes cigarettes, and has tattoos. So the dad was thought he was defending it and telling his son all these things that are going to change his son's mind. But in reality, his son was just getting more proof that the person he's pegged his dad is unable to have a joke, unable to be light, unable to just kind of play it cool. Um, now he just, he said, yeah, there you go. That's my dad. And he goes, oh yeah, you wouldn't do those things. Oh, come on, dad. You know, you would like, you know, and he started debating and then they got in this argument and it got into a fight and it didn't go well. So the dad was like, how could I use this curiosity as a way to handle that situation differently? And so I just gave him an example and I said, here's what I would have said if, you know, your son was asking that to me and, and I was the dad. He goes, okay, I'm listening. I would have sat there, I would have listened to him. And after he got done, like, oh, drinking alcohol and smoking cigarettes and this, and that, and the other, I would have said, hmm. I said, you know what? You never know. I've never been 50 years old, um, not Mormon, and uh, not, you know, living the life that I live right now. So, yeah, I may go out and get drunk with you. I may have a drink with you. I may get tattoos. I may smoke tobacco. But then your mom also may divorce me, may leave me. I'd have to pay child support because she would probably leave me for someone else that had the same type of lifestyle she has. And then I'd have to be paying for the kids, take care of them. Then I have to watch another man raise my kids and I'd be depressed and miserable all the time. So he's like, yeah, that could happen too. And my point by saying that was, this is not a real question or a real statement for your son. It's a heat check. He's trying to see, here's the thing, what I didn't give, a little background story. The, the son is actually really curious to have a relationship with his dad. He's not actually attacking his dad. He's trying to take some, he's trying to debate with his dad to see if his dad is a different person or if his dad is the same old stuffy guy that he's always been. And this is not my words, but this is kind of what I assume that this young man is saying about his dad in his mind, because that's the way he acts towards his dad. Like he can't have real conversations with his dad. So I told the dad, I go, this conversation he brought up, it's a trap. It's not about you getting drunk and getting tattoos and smoking with him. He's just checking to see how you're going to react to an off-the-cuff statement, something that if you were cool-blooded and chill about it, you would just totally like kind of go along with it and flow with it. And so the dad said, wow, that made a lot of sense because you're right. It's not a real question. That's like saying, what if the sun rose in the west and sat in the east? I don't know. What if I woke up in the morning, I made a million dollars just by making breakfast? I don't know. Like, what, let's, what if this? What, like, let's just start throwing all the crazy possibility realms of outcomes if our lives were different. I don't know. That's not really even what matters. So the dad, as he started thinking about it, he was like, man, my son does this a lot to me then. Because I thought he's just picking at me, trying to debate with me. He goes, I was a little offended because I've helped my son out financially with a really tough situation recently. And in his mind, he's like, I'm helping my son out this way 
my son's saying, thank you, dad. I really appreciate it. I couldn't do this without you. So it's the most conversation we've ever had. And then when we're around each other, he's throwing shots at me and trying to pick a fight with me. And then the dad realized my son's not trying to pick a fight with me. He's just curious to see if I am capable of being a trusted resource, because in the past I would have never helped him out financially and busted him out of this bad situation. I would have never gave him that solid. Little did he know I've been talking to the son and the son does want a relationship with his dad and he just doesn't know how to talk to his dad. And all too often guys, the way they talk to each other is talk trash to each other. And somehow that's supposed to convey love, gratitude, and appreciation. <laughs> Sometimes that message does not come across as clearly as the male would like it to be. And sometimes it's the dads doing it to their sons. Like, yeah, I, that's just how me and my son talk. I make fun of him and he laughs. It's a good time. And then the son's like, that's not a good time for me, dad. And he's like, it's not, I didn't know that. Why didn't you ever say anything? He's like, I can't, you're too busy making fun of me. So the point is, is there's lots of ways to trigger and spark curiosity. In this situation with the dad, I gave him a couple things that he's gonna have like little mic drop statements with the son to spark curiosity moms uh, and parents, when you are playing it cool with your kids in a situation where they have already made it up in their mind that you're going to freak out, even if you don't freak out at the moment and delay it and talk to them later, that sparks their curiosity. If they come at you and say, hey, listen, I've decided that I'm going to change all my life beliefs and I'm not going to do anything that you guys wanted me to do. And they tell you their whole entire life plan. And by the way, they could be a preteen, a teenager, or a 20-year-old. And they're telling you that, I know you're going to be disappointed, but I just want to be honest and real with you because I've already posted online to all my friends that I'm making a new change in my life. Now, most parents are sitting there listening to this saying, oh yeah, so two weeks ago and then two weeks before that, every time you post a change in your life, every time you come to us and tell us you're going to just change everything and do something different and, and that we're not going to be happy with you, we're supposed to act like we're surprised and this is, this is a big deal. Well, I get a lot of parents telling me that they're tired of hearing their kids changing their mind and acting like they're going to live this different life and, and you know, it's kind of picking these quasi fights with them over like really, I mean, really irrelevant topics and things that would take years to play out anyways. I tell parents in that situation, then this is a great opportunity for you to spark curiosity by playing it cool and respond totally differently. And in those situations, if your kid comes to you and says, you know, I know you want me to be this per, for a profession, but I'm going to do something totally different and this, that, and the other. I would suggest using this opportunity to spark curiosity by saying something like this. Huh. You know, in the past, if I would have heard you say that, um, I would have got mad and I would have got disappointed and I'd been fearful for your future. However, now I'm kind of just looking forward to see what happens because you made a lot of good points there. You said some things that, man, if you were to go to graduate school and you were to take all the effort to become a master in that trade and that profession, I would have nothing but respect for you. And yeah, even though it's not what I envisioned in my mind for you to do when you grow up, it's not about me. It's your future. So I look forward to seeing how it all plays out. The type of curiosity that spark in your, in your kid would be at first the shock curiosity, like, wait, what just happened? Who adopt, like who, who uh, abducted, not adopted, who abducted my parents. And then they'd walk away, not feeling disgraced or shamed that there was a battle or a fight, feeling like you're an ally, feeling like you're a partner and not needing to follow through up on all these ex exact, I mean, these extreme claims of this huge life that they're going to live when they're just like 15 years old, when they're probably going to change their mind next week anyways. 
spark curiosity, say things that are off the cuff a little bit. Now, be very cautious. You want to say things polite, respectfully. When I say say things off the cuff and when I say say things that are not so um, obvious that you would normally say, be thoughtful and mindful about it. Don't say mean or cruel things or make fun of them. Just try something that's a little bit more accepting, a little bit more understanding, and give them that, hmm, well, let's see how this works out. Well, let me know how it goes. And yeah, tell me uh, all the success you're having. And then don't call them out on it later saying, oh, what happened to all your new dream plans? What happened to this? I thought you're going to follow through with that. Plan on them not falling through on much of anything they're going to say for very long because they're a teenager, one. Two, because that's how most human beings are when they're trying to figure out things. They're just throwing things at the wall to see what sticks. And a lot of times they're just trying to figure out an identity. So they're, they kind of are looking for a reaction from you. When you don't have a reaction to it and you're just kind of okay with whatever they say, then there's really no push off. There's no resistance. There's no reason for them to, to have this false sense of security and this false sense of energy. And when I call false sense of energy, what I really mean is like the need to prove someone wrong. I'm going to prove all my haters wrong. And I'm going to prove all these critics wrong. When the critic that they really need to prove the most wrong is just the critic inside their head. So try curiosity as a way of opening up a new opportunity for your kids to see you for who you really are versus seeing you for the way that you have reacted in stressful and difficult times. And eventually this is going to lead to them learning how to make decisions on their own because they won't be able to depend upon you to be reactive and make them feel like they have to do something or you won't be too passive so that you're not giving them any feedback. You definitely want to validate where your kids are coming from. You definitely want to acknowledge what they're saying, but you also don't want to get caught in that trap where you have to make it happen. You have to sponsor it and you have to keep them accountable if they don't follow through. That's their job, not yours. So hopefully this information about using curiosity as a tool that just won't kill a cat, but could actually motivate a cat and if you've listened to some of the other podcasts, I'm not the only person who said this, but you know, dogs, kids are like dogs, like to be petted, like to be around more. Teenagers are more like cats, like to come around when they need something. And fortunately, uh, if you're worried about your the curiosity of your cat, you know, um, getting them in some difficult troubles, by no means am I saying let your kid do whatever they want to do and don't discipline them. And if they get in trouble, just to pass it off as no big deal. That's not what I'm saying. These are just suggestions of insights and tools that can be helpful to build better relationships with your kids and specifically relationships that are more productive instead of relationships that are focused solely on mistakes, errors, and how to learn from not doing it right. This type of approach can help you be a partner in their success and help them figure out things on their own a lot quicker. So as always, uh, thanks for listening to Light the Fight podcast. Thank you for tuning in. You can follow us on all social media um, and you can also listen to us on iTunes, uh, Google Play, um, Spreaker, Stitcher, wherever you like to listen to your podcast. That's where you can find us. And we're under Light the Fight, L-I-G-H-T, the fight. And also too, if you happen to be on iTunes, I know they have a really cool system that if you give a, a review, a five-star or write something about the podcast, it uh, definitely moves us up to the top of the chain so people can find us easier, especially if they're searching relationship, family, and parenting, and teens, and kids. So 
Anyways, thanks for following Light the Fight podcast, and I'm out.